Gospels to the book of John, chapter 1. Looking forward to things, some getting back to normal in the coming weeks and months. I want to remind all of the men in the building this morning, next Sunday, just give you the 411 is Valentine's Day. All right, so I'm just going ahead and warning you. Uh, don't miss this. Uh, if you want to have harmony and peace and happiness in your home, uh, this would not be a time that you want to, you know, fall asleep and kind of pay, you know, pay attention now. And uh, ladies, uh, don't make it so difficult for us. Um, you know, we are, um, most guys are a little slow and we only work with one side of our brain, you know, so we're, we're a little bit slower than most. Uh, so don't make it so difficult on us. I mean, uh, a little hints, uh, you know, going ahead and you know, dropping something in the Amazon cart and uh, sending it over to us will make it easier. Uh, or, uh, you know, sending us some hints, dropping. We don't do subtle. So uh, go ahead and help us out. And uh, uh, looking forward to next Sunday is Valentine's Day. And uh, looking forward to uh, some photo booths and taking some pictures next week. And uh, looking forward to what God is going to do. This morning we're looking at the focus in on that one. Our series, Who's Your One? We're looking at uh, picking that one person this year that God would use us to influence for the gospel of the kingdom and bring them to faith in Jesus Christ. And it was neat. Yesterday I was uh, picking up some dinner uh, and I was uh, talking to the person that was uh, making my food and and they said, do you got any big plans tomorrow or this weekend? I said, well, actually, I'm, I'm going to church tomorrow. He said, really? What church are you going to? And I told him, I said, well, actually, I'm the pastor at Calvary. And he's like, I went to Awana there as a kid. I was in Cubbies there as a kid. And I started talking to him, and it was really super cool. He said, I actually play the bass guitar in the, uh, the band at my church. And he said, my dad is the worship leader and uh, he said, we're driving to a church in Fayetteville. They live in town here. But he said, we're helping a church out there that was needing a worship leader. And, and we talked about the Lord. And he said, what are you preaching on tomorrow? I shared with them. And it was just super cool to see a high school student engaged. And he said, that's so important. He said, he said so many people never share the gospel and never really take the opportunity. And, you know, I want, I want to challenge you this morning. As we're digging into the Word, don't just take it in an abstract form and say, you know what, I'm here for 30, 40 minutes, and I'm going to kind of, you know, give my time, and then I'm going to put a check by my box, and I go about my way. I want to challenge you as we're praying, as we're opening the Word, as we're digging in this week, and over the next few weeks, pray that the Holy Spirit of God would convict you. He would convict each one of us. And this morning, I'm excited. I was, I was standing up this morning in the lobby, and I looked, and one of the balls that was in the display out there said, D-A-D. I'll be honest, it hit me like a, I mean, it was like, wow. Some child in our church is burdened enough for their dad that they're praying that their dad may come to faith in Christ. I'm praying that God answers that prayer and he brings some miraculous things in that household. And, but I'm praying this year that God would begin to do a mighty work. I think I saw 30-some balls that were dropped in there last Sunday. I counted them earlier this week. Even a few more have gone in there this morning. And I'm praying over the course of the next few weeks and months that God begins to do a mighty work and stir our hearts for that one that he wants to use us to impact with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to dive right into our text this morning. In John chapter 1, it says in verse 45, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, he says, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. So you can just imagine for just a moment, Philip's sharing the good news of the gospel, and he's sharing it with Nathaniel, and Nathaniel is a skeptic. Nathaniel's like, really? Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, you can imagine, when you, we've, you've heard me teach on this passage before, uh, leading up to uh, the birth of Christ. And I mean, it was not a, uh, it was St. Nazareth, uh, all of Bethlehem. I mean, all of these areas that Jesus was from are, 
are not areas that were for the wealthy, the well-to-do, the high social classes of, of the day and Jewish culture. And Nathaniel is like, really? Uh, Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah. He's the promised one. He's the, the one who's coming to take away the sins of the world. And Philip said, come and see. I love his optimism. He says, I just want you to come on this journey. I want you to see what God is doing. I want you to see what God is going Nathaniel answered him. This is verse 49 of the same text, same passage. He says, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. There was a transformation that took place in Nathaniel's life. He goes from skeptic to believer. In just an instant, God radically transformed his life. Would you not agree he didn't ask him just to come and see? He wanted him to experience the life-changing power of the gospel of Jesus. There's another passage in Matthew's gospel, Matthew 13. It says in verse 45 and 46, it's called the parable of the hidden uh, treasure, the and he says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Jesus is saying, and ultimately he's, he's saying, what does it profit if you gain the entire world and lose your own soul? In other words, so many people are chasing after the riches of this world, and they're chasing after things of, of, of temporal value, but ultimately, God is wanting us to experience and, and chase after the things of, of God, the things that truly are of value. He found Here in this text, he found the one pearl of great price. You see, the day that I got saved, the day that Jesus radically changed my heart, I w it, was a, a, it was the day I received that pearl of great price, the most valuable thing that I've ever received, the most valuable gift I've ever received in this life is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The day I accepted Christ as my Savior was a transformational turning point in my life. And, and folks, I'll, I'll never forget it. And you might say, you were, you were only a child. How radical could it have been? Martha, how old were you when you got saved? Five years old, all right? Pastor's kid. Where's Christy? How old were you when you got saved? Around five. I was looking around the room. There might be some other pastor's kids in the room. Some of you are like, oh, please don't point me out. I was five years old as a, as a PK when I got saved. That was all I'd ever heard. I'd gone to church for nine months before I was born. I mean, every Sunday, every Wednesday, we were always in church. We never missed. And so how transformational can salvation be for a five-year-old? Kim, Daniel, you guys grew up in church. How transformational. Can I say that was the moment we went from death into life. That was the moment we went from darkness into his glorious light. Jesus radically changed our life. So folks, don't take it for granted. If you got saved at an early age and many people across the building today, you had the privilege of growing up in a, in a gospel teaching and gospel preaching church. Don't count, don't take that for granted. and Don't ever think that your story is any less valuable because Christ radically saved you at a young age. I've heard of people four years old, five, six, eight, ten. In fact, the majority of people who get saved do so before they're age 12. And then by the time they're age 17, it's like 80-some, in the high 80s, of a percentage of people who get saved. The number of people who get saved as adults is less than 20%. It's, it's absolutely insane. Folks, the reality is, is this morning, as we look at the Word of God, don't take for granted what Jesus Christ did. The transformation. Be thankful for the one who had the, the nerve, they had the boldness, that had the Holy Spirit's power upon them as they begin to share the gospel in your life. Because folks, I guarantee you, we can go around and there are testimony after testimony online and in person this morning of people who got saved, even as adults. Andy, I've heard you talk about how when you got saved and the radical change that God performed in your life. Brian, I've heard your testimony and how Jesus radically transformed your life. Folks, as we look at the Word of God, He gives us direction. Be thankful for those who are willing to uh, endure hard questions that had dealt with skeptical, uh, they were skeptical of the truth of the gospel. And, and folks, I'm thankful for people who are willing to invest in my life. We're prone to think of one as small, as, as small and insignificant. Who wants just one cookie? 
Right? You know, when you talk about uh, Lay's potato chips, you, don't, you, know, you can't eat just one. I mean, uh, there's something insignificant. Uh, growing up, I, I, I think I've shared this before, uh, my favorite cookie has always been the Oreo cookie. And, and not just the regular one, but the double stuff. I mean, there's just something about that. I don't like the triple stuff. I don't like the mint ones. I don't like all the other ones. I just like the double stuff, you know, Oreo. And I'm a, I'm a purist, I guess, in that sense. And you know, I, I, but growing up, my parents, dad would only give us two Oreos. I mean, so you'd get your lunchbox at school, you'd open up that thing, and uh, all of a sudden you've got this sandwich, you've got some chips, and then there'd be the two cookies. And I remember, I mean, always thinking to myself, why can't I have three? I mean, why can't I have four? I mean, I want four. So I got to be an adult. I mean, I still remember the first time I bought a double stuffed pack of Oreos. I mean, I sat down and ate like a whole sleep all in one sitting because I could. I mean, I had arrived. And you, like, you're looking at me thinking, yeah, you look like you've been eating some sleeves of Oreos. But anyway, I mean, there's that sense of one. It just seems like not enough. What is the value of one? We're thinking it's insignificant. The value of one dollar. And you go to the dollar store, you're like, wow, what can I get for a dollar as a kid? And I remember hearing someone talk about taking a, a, a missionary from another country, a native pastor came to the States, and they took him to the dollar store and gave him like $100 cash. And they literally, I mean, filled up the entire cart. I mean, they were like taking this, they had hit the jackpot. It was like lottery winnings and, you know, all these things. I mean, it was hard. The value of one. The Bible consistently speaks of one. One pearl of great price. One lost sheep. And he would leave the 99 to go after that one lost sheep. One wayward son who leaves the, the, the home and, and ultimately comes back home and is reunited. The disciples of Jesus often, often overlook the value of one. One invitation to church, one message of hope, one neighbor, one co-worker, one friend, one family member. Can you name one person who has come to Christ through your invite and witness? See, the gospel makes this all possible. I remember being in, in Christian college, studying to be a, a student pastor, and one of my professors says, have you ever read the Bible through one time? Cover to cover? He asked us to raise our hand. I'm not going to ask you to do that this morning. He, he asked us to raise our hand. If you've ever read the Bible through, and these are people that are in a Bible college studying to be in some sort of ministry, and the number of people who raised their hand was like 10% or less of the people in the class. He's like, how can you say you believe something that you've never actually read entirely? One time. The value of, of one. Can you name one person who's come to faith in Christ through your invite and through your witness? And I shared my story a couple weeks ago of how I led my first person to Christ and I was terrified. One, because it was an assignment for an evangelism class and I was afraid I was going to fail the class if I didn't lead someone to Christ. But folks, the reality is it lit a fire within me and an excitement once I led someone to Christ and folks, it hasn't died ever since. In fact, it's just as exciting in 2021 as it was back in 1993 or four. And folks, as I have an opportunity to lead someone to Christ, I don't ever take it for granted. I don't take it lightly. One person went, and sometimes on during vacation Bible school week, there'll be kids who'll be coming to talk to someone about Christ. And I love taking the Word of God and sitting across from someone and sharing how you can have a personal relationship with Jesus. And He desires to forgive us of our sins and, and to radically transform our lives. Can you name one person? You see, the gospel makes it all possible because it says it's the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. Paul is talking about it. Folks, I love the, 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 the verse here in Romans 16, 16. It says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the what, church? 
is the power of God for what? Salvation. To everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I love this verse because it's a reminder, folks, that it's not you that's going to do the saving. It's not up to you to save that person. And folks, I'm thankful for that because that takes a ton of pressure off. I mean, if, if we think for a second that we're the one that's going to save somebody, folks, we're going to fall flat on our face and be an absolute failure. But folks, this morning, if we realize that it's the power of God for salvation, it's that Holy Spirit that draws a person to Him in salvation. And, and folks, I love leading a, a child to Christ. I love leading, a, Lord, love leading an adult to Christ, a teenager to Christ. But folks, I love it even more when a parent leads their own child to Christ because it's exciting when they get to see that light come on and them understand the power of God to salvation. Someone may say, boy, what if they ask a hard question? Pastor, I'm not that good at speaking. And Moses said the same thing. God had some other plans for his life. But folks, look at our text. Nathaniel is doubting from the very beginning. Is anything good coming out of Nazareth? I mean, how is it possible that the Messiah would come from such a lowly place? Why don't you just say to that person that's got the hard questions, come and see. I just want you to come along on the journey and see what God wants to accomplish through your life. 96% of people that will ever come to faith in Jesus Christ will people, be people that have been invited to come and see. Think about it. Someone has shared the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Think about the person who shared it with you, who told you about it. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's a, a children's worker. Maybe a wanna leader. Maybe a teacher at your school. Maybe a vacation Bible school. A, a youth pastor. Uh, who, a, a neighbor. Whoever it was that invited you. Our friends, our relatives, our work associates, neighbors, they will come simply because we say, uh, challenge them to come and see. I read this, over 20% of believers will invite another believer to church. Think about this, 20% of us, followers of Jesus, will invite another believer to church. You say, what do you mean? You invite you you meet a neighbor and they tell you hey we just moved into town and, uh, and and a conversation leads and they start talking about church and you find out they've been in church and like hey let me invite you to church I want you to come visit with me this Sunday and it's relatively easy uh, yesterday last yesterday afternoon it was easy when he asked me about what I was doing. When I shared, I said, well, actually, I'm a pastor, and I'm looking forward to going to church tomorrow. And he asked about, so it was easy to have a conversation with somebody that you already understand, knows the gospel, and they're excited about hearing about what you're preaching on. and what you're, It's easy to talk. Those things are, those come natural. 20% of believers will do that. But follow along with me. A believer will invite another believer to church. Only one in five will do that. But only 2% of believers, Christ followers, will ever invite an unchurched or unsaved person to church. 2%. And we wonder why churches are empty and the world is going so far from God right now. Folks, the reality is, is we have to do our part. We have to get uncomfortable. We have to get out of our little surround of, uh, of all the people that are Christians just around us. And we don't ever build relationships outside of our family or our immediate friends of, of Christian people who go to Christian school and Christian church. And, and everything there's done in a Christian bubble. Folks, 2% of believers, 1 out of 5 will invite another believer. But if they're unsaved and unchurched, only 2%, 98% of the church will not invite someone else to church. Think about it for just a moment. I'm not to, I think sometimes we can't see the forest for the trees. Uh, uh, the problem is I think we can't see the tree for the forest, just one tree. I mean, can you name one person that you've personally led to faith in Jesus Christ, or you invited them to come and see it, they received Jesus Christ, 
as their Savior. Just one. I wonder if you would say this morning, I refuse to go to heaven empty-handed. I'm not going to go by myself. I want to bring other people with me. I want to have my part in building the kingdom. What does it mean when Paul says, I'm not ashamed? What's he saying? It means fear. Reluctance to do something because of fear. He says because of embarrassment or humiliation. When Paul says he's not ashamed, he's not worried about what someone else will think about him. You know, I think sometimes in our, in our personal lives, we get to that point. I mean, maybe in high school, I mean, you're trying to impress. You're trying to, you, you, you want to date that beautiful girl or that handsome guy. And you're trying to, I mean, you'll put on a certain look about yourself. And got to have the right clothes, the right car, the right, take the right classes, go the right path, uh, play the right sports, whatever it is, to get noticed. And then you get into college and you're trying to impress your professors. And, and you want to get a, a good grade and you want to get a good degree so you can get a good job and then you, you start dating and you're trying to impress that person and at some point you get to a point in your life and I don't know if it's 30 if it's 40 or wherever it is you get to a certain point you're like I really just don't care I don't care if my neighbors don't like me anymore I don't care if you know I'm the most popular one I mean if I get invited to all the parties I mean anybody there yet I mean you're like I just don't care I mean I'm gonna live my life the best way that I know how but ultimately I want God to be glorified in my life. So it's not a callousness. It's more of a sense of I'm confident in who I am in Christ. I'm not trying to impress someone. And folks, we've got to get over our fear and reluctance to share the gospel of Jesus and not worry about if a neighbor or a co-worker or a friend is going to laugh at us. What if they laugh in my face? Well, they spit in Christ's face. What if they mock me? Well, he was mocked and beaten, and what Paul was stoned and, and left for dead. He was imprisoned for his faith. Folks, if we're going to experience some persecution, but folks, the reality is this morning, if, if we don't share God the, the gospel, if the other 98% of the church doesn't share the gospel, the entire world around us is going to hell. And folks, we are completely blind to that fact to the reality that we're allowing all of those around us to die without Jesus because we're crippled in fear. Talk, we'll talk about anything. But folks, except for the one who can radically transform our lives. Tonight is, uh, I think there's a game on TV. Uh, and I'm pretty sure that there's some people that are going to be very excited about rooting on their favorite team. And I am not going to make any bones about it. I am not a football fan. I mean, those of you that like football, I mean, knock yourselves out. But I, I just, I don't care. I mean, I like basketball. I like hockey. I'm not a, a huge sports fan, but I don't care anything about football. And I probably watch one game the entire year, and it's the Super Bowl. Why is that? Because there's really good food. There's pizza. There's wings. There's all kinds of desserts and candy and all that. I mean, uh, we've already started stocking up, and it's just our crew at our house tonight. I mean, we're not even going anywhere. And I mean, it's just, I like all that. I like the commercials. They're, they're funny. I love some of that stuff, and that's probably the only game I will watch almost every single year. I mean, occasionally I'll go to a, a, a college football game if someone buys the tickets and gives me it. I'll go. I like the camaraderie. I like the fellowship. But I'm just not a huge football fan. And Folks, but the reality is this morning is I watched that one game, but people, some people can name who has won every single Super Bowl since the beginning. You know those kind of people. I mean, they know who's up, who's going to be drafted in the first round and second round. They know all of the, the, the stats of the teams, the coaches, and who's they've been. They've coached for this team. Now they're coaching this team. And this quarterback's now moved over to Tampa Bay. And, I mean, we, we can write off all these stats. Folks, they know all those things. And I'm not trying to be ugly, but in light of what we're talking about this morning, let me do another comparative study. Who won the national championship? Who wins the national championship in football this year won't matter on the other side. Can I get a witness this morning? It won't matter in light of eternity. But folks, it won't matter who, but folks, who you win, that one, the person that you seek to lead to faith in Christ, folks, that's the only thing that's going to matter on the other side. It's the only one that's going to matter. That's the, and folks, ladies and gentlemen, keep talking about football. That's not the issue. The thing is, it, talk about the one 
who has transformed your life. Talk about the one who has saved your soul, who redeemed you from the hand of the enemy. What's the big deal about finding the pearl of great price? Michael Yusuf said this. He says, there are two things you must know about pearls to find, to understand this illustration. He says, first of all, he says, back then pearls were the most precious commodity. He says, not one of the precious commodities, but the most precious commodity, more valuable than diamonds are in our day. Pearls were greatly valued because diving for oysters that contain these pearls was an extremely dangerous exercise. Many people lost their lives diving for these oysters. Both the beauty and scarcity of the pearl made it extremely valuable. People would often give all of their money, all, everything they owned, to possess one pearl. And that's what Christ was talking about. And he says, it's only through Jesus' death on the cross, his death, his suffering, folks, that we could experience the priceless pearl of salvation that's made available to each and every one of us. Nothing compares to that priceless pearl. Only through the death and resurrection of Christ can we be assured of faith in God and, and of heaven one day. And, and, and folks, we can receive forgiveness of sin. He's the one that provides true peace of mind, true security, identity. Our identity is in Christ. He gives us rest for our souls. He gives us comfort in times of sorrow. I found the pearl of great price. And folks, this morning, if you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you have received that pearl of great price. The greatest gift that anyone could receive. When our text, Nathaniel says, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. He goes from being a skeptic, a critic, to a believer who would receive faith in Jesus Christ. I want to challenge you, first of all, and we're going to move quickly through this. Commit to being an intentional witness in 2021. If you're going to understand the importance of one, you've got to commit to being an intentional witness. I want to be, I want to witness this morning, this year with intentionality. I want to build relationships that are intentional. I'm praying after the year that we just came through in 2020 where people felt like there's no hope. They feel like they're, I mean, they're just trapped in an endless cycle of whatever it may be, of depression, discouragement, defeat, a loss. Whatever it may be, I'm praying that God gives us intentional relationships this year that we can use to share the good news of the gospel. I want to be intentional. I want the Holy Spirit of God to give me boldness to share the gospel faithfully and consistently more than any other time. Folks, we need accountability this morning. We need encouragement this morning. We need people that are going to come alongside of us and say, who is the per who's your one? I want to pray with you that God would give you boldness and give you opportunity this year to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And folks, what happens is as we encourage one another, as we hold each other accountable, God will begin to transform lives. I saw this morning uh, the first blue ball has gone into the, the thing. That means somebody's having a gospel conversation or they're sharing the good news of Christ. Folks, what's going to happen is those colors uh, are going to start filling in as people are having conversations. And, and they're sharing what Jesus Christ is doing in their life. We need encouragement. We need accountability. I want you to come and hold me accountable as your pastor said. Who's your one? Have you had an opportunity to, to talk with them this week? And have you had an opportunity to encourage them or, or be a blessing to them or share Christ with them? Have you invited them to church yet? And, and folks, what happens is I want, we've got a partner in the mission of God this morning to be an intentional witness. Secondly, I want to invite you to go and tell. You see, leading others to faith in Christ to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior is the greatest expression that we really understand who he is. Because see, what happens is, once we understand the gospel and what Jesus did, we can't keep it to ourselves. You can't contain it. The excitement. Remember the time that you found out that you were expecting your first child? And, and there is, I mean, I'm talking long before these days of all the fancy, you know, uh, gender reveals. I'm talking about back in the day. I mean, <laughs> uh, I remember uh, we found out we were pregnant uh, with Savannah and... I mean, 
We couldn't wait to share it with our families. And I mean, you're sitting here thinking, how am I going to, are we going to buy them a baby outfit and, or something that says grandma or grandpa? And you're trying to figure out how you're going to share the good news, that story. It's overwhelming. You can't wait to share it with people. And I remember when we shared with the church that we were having twins and, and we told the teenagers, because we were youth pastors at the time, we shared it with the teenagers. Hey, we're going to have, we're going to have a baby. And, we're gonna, and we were so excited to share that good news with them. And I think Micah actually told the church, my mommy has two babies in her stomach. You know, and uh, we're excited to share the good news. Folks, what happens is, as we learn to share the good news of Jesus Christ, we will go and tell. We will share what Christ has done. I've got a challenge. It's a simple challenge. Over the course of this week, several hundred people will hear this message uh, in person today, in this room, online today. And over the course of the week, hundreds of people will tune in and watch the service this morning. I want to challenge you in, in three different ways. And uh, of all the people that are listening, I want to challenge you this morning. I want to challenge you to go and tell. Not to be ashamed, but the course of 2021... I want to challenge you to go forward and be a bold witness for Jesus Christ. If you're a Christ follower, I want you to do three things. First of all, would you, as Christ followers, or as a church member, as a, a member of the church, invite one unchurched or unsaved person or family to either have breakfast, lunch, or dinner with you in 2021? Would you invite one unchurched or unsaved person or family to have breakfast, lunch, or dinner with you in 2021. Say, well, pastor, you know what? I am just quarantining myself to death. I mean, I ain't seen a soul in almost 11 months. Well, God help you, and I'm praying for you. But at some point, you're going to have to re-engage in life. Every single one of us are doing that. We're all having to figure out. So maybe when the weather gets nicer, would you invite someone you can eat outside? There are restaurants that have an outdoor seating area, and you can sit outside and social distance and you know, have a mask on while you eat if you want to do that. But I'm, I'm not, I'm just, I'm, I'm be, it's crazy. It's a crazy year. But say, Pastor, I can't do that. I mean, it's 2021. We're living in a pandemic. I ain't going to have nobody over my house. Have them on the patio. Have them on the porch. Have them on the deck. Uh, and if you're not afraid and you want to have them in your house, have them in your house. Have them at a restaurant. But have dinner with somebody and share the good news of Jesus Christ. We have 47 more weeks to go in the year. And, and folks, what happens is as you're sitting there, part of the conversation as you, you don't start in the first two seconds of sitting there, you don't ask questions like, do you know if you die today, you'd go to heaven? I mean, we're not living in 1975. I mean, we're not going to do that. Uh, they probably would end the meal pretty quick and get on out of Dodge, and I'd probably do the same thing. I mean, I saw the other day I was in a, a, a bathroom in a, in a gas station, and there were gospel tracts on the urinal. And I'm, I'm, I'm not a big fan of that because, I mean, it just seems dirty and nasty and just wrong. All, all kinds of wrong, but I mean, but... Nevertheless, be bold. You know, take the opportunity to share the good news of gospel. And so share your story. Say, have I ever told you how I came to faith in Christ? You know what happens? You have a captive audience. Don't buy their meal while you're at it. Don't be cheapskate. Buy their meal, but take the opportunity to share your testimony with an unsaved person. Or it could, it could be a coworker. It could be uh, it could be a neighbor. It could be a friend, a, a family member. But the gospel is the power of God to salvation. One person, forty-seven weeks, folks. I think if you're not intentional, the majority of our community will die without Jesus Christ and never know that He loves us and died on the cross first. So would you do that with one person, one family? Number two, over the next 47 weeks, would you invite one family from your neighborhood? All right, so the other one's just anybody outside, unsaved. Would you invite one family from your neighborhood? A neighbor, 
uh, somebody that, that lives around you, someone that you have a, in your influence right around you, in your neighborhood. Somebody say, all my neighbors know me. Uh, anyway, uh, maybe there's something, to, some prayer and, and, and confession and getting right that needs to happen first. But, but invite one family from your neighborhood to your home for dinner and share your testimony of faith in Christ. All right, so first one could be outside. It could be a co-worker somewhere outside. But then you'll get a little bit closer to home. Would you invite that neighbor, a neighbor's family who moved in across the street and you really haven't gotten to know them. Later on when it gets warmer and you're grilling outside them, you ever go outside and someone's grilling you like, man, where's that? I mean, like a bloodhound stuffing it out going, where's that coming from? I'm going over there for dinner. Well, put on the ribs or put on something in the smoker and, and invite that neighbor to come over to your house and, and have an opportunity. And, and maybe, you know, during that time, Share the gospel with them and how you came to faith in Christ. And I've already decided my wife is a great cook. She um, is an amazing cook. She cooks, I mean, well, you can look at me and tell I don't go lacking any meals. But she makes homemade food. I mean, and our neighbors all came out. And when they've been to our house, she's like, I don't think some of them eat. I mean, she said, but they came, they come to our house and they literally pig out. I mean, she makes homemade mashed, not boxed mashed potatoes, homemade mashed potatoes. I mean, she makes comfort food. I mean, it's like good, sticks to your ribs and bones. I mean, I absolutely love. I mean, so we don't have any problems inviting people over to our house. And they all come and they eat like they ain't never eaten in, in their entire life. And so invite that person. Find a recipe if you need to. Talk to her. She can help you out with a recipe or two. But invite some neighbors over to your house and, and have a cook out, have something, invite him. But I've already decided how it's going to go down. We're going to be sitting around the, the dining room table and we're going to be uh, talking and just fellowshipping with our neighbors. And I'm going to say, um, Tana, I'd like for you to share your testimony because I like to delegate things. Uh, Tana, I'd like for you to share your testimony of how you came to faith in Christ. She's going to look at me like, I'm going to have a talk with you in the kitchen in just a second. But, uh, you know, share the gospel and how you came to faith in Christ with that neighbor. I guarantee you what will happen is probably the majority of them do not know your story. Do not know how Jesus has radically trained. Why do they, they see you as that family who gets up on Sundays when everyone else is still asleep. And you're coming back from church when they're just rolling out of bed. Or they're cutting their grass and they're painting the house. And, and they're, they're trying to figure out what it is that, that you do. And folks, what happens is it opens a door of opportunity. 47 weeks. 47 weeks. One family. We're not going to. We're not coming to church just to hear a sermon. We're looking for life change in our lives. We're looking for transformation. Folks, helping people make a decision to follow Jesus Christ. Think about that. Somebody you work with that's never heard the gospel and hear you share your story. A neighbor who hears you share that story of what Jesus Christ has done in your life. You never know how that's going to take an impact and, and take root in their life. Nine years ago, I had the opportunity to go to one of my neighbor's houses and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We were living in, in Willis Springs at the time, and God placed us in an incredible place. And right across the intersection, for, on the, we were on one side of the cul-de-sac. On the other side was John and Darlene Humphreys, and I, I, they're tuning in watching this morning online. And uh, I, we invited them to church, and they had gone to another church in Raleigh, and they would still go back and forth there some. And we invited them to church, and over the years, they would come and visit, and, and they would, uh, you know, come to different services and, and visit with us. And eventually, they decided we need to find a church close to home and actually get plugged in. And I'll never forget the Sunday that they said, we want to take starting point, and we want to get plugged in, and we want to start growing. And then they started teaching a, a Sunday school class for children on the Sunday morning. And God has done a mighty work, and, and he's using them and working in their lives. Right next door to them, directly across from our driveway, is Chevis and Megan Shrum. And Chevis and Megan, me met them when we first moved in. I think they were the first people who moved on our cul-de-sac. And, and one of the first conversations I had with Chevis, and he and I have laughed about it since. He, said, he found out I was a pastor. He said, I'm not really interested in church. You know, don't bother me with that. And he wasn't rude in any way. He said, I'm not really interested in church. 
We had a couple kids. My wife was pregnant. The second kid at the time, he said, we're not really looking to have kids. And, uh, and well, all right. And, and we, would, we would speak, and we'd have conversations from time to time. And on Easter, I'd invite him to church. On Christmas, I'd invite him to church. And ne- never really, you know, registered, never went anywhere. But about nine years ago, I remember one night I was sitting there working on my computer, and I saw something on, on Facebook, and, and it said, uh, it, was, it was Chevis, and he was saying, I'm in the market for a church. Anybody know of a, a good church uh, that I could attend? And I saw that. I was thinking, you know, my little antenna were going up. Went ding, 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 ding. I mean, I know of a church. I mean, I can tell you about a church. And I remember Chevis, uh, and with about five minutes, someone had said, isn't your neighbor a pastor? Why don't you talk to him? I bet he would be able to help you with that. And, and he texted me. He said, hey, Pastor David, he said, uh, I was, my wife and I are looking for a church. Is there any way that you might could come over and talk to us? And, and we began to... And it was on a Thursday night, and, and I'll never forget it. And so uh, I had something going on that he was working the next couple of days during the weekend. And he said, hey, Monday night works, so I'll come over Monday night and I'll talk to you about church. And Megan, and she- Megan didn't really go up in church. Chevis had grown up in the Catholic church, and he'd kind of gotten away from it and gotten disillusioned from the church. And, and I remember within five minutes of arriving at their house on that Monday night, Chevis said, he said, Pastor Chevis, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, I'm, I'm kind of rattled this, this evening. He said, I worked a, an accident on, on Sunday morning, and he was on the Cary Fire Department. He said, I, I pulled a husband and wife out of their car that had, had died in an accident. He said, I, I looked in the back seat, and there was a, a car seat back there, but there was, no, there was no baby in the car seat, and baby wasn't with them. And husband, the mom and dad had died, and I mean... I can't imagine, I mean, facing that and seeing that. I mean, what that does to you. I mean, it's got to be unbelievable. And I'll be honest, when I got over there, I didn't know what the conversation was going to lead to. But I felt the Holy Spirit of God impressing on me. This is your moment. If there's ever been a moment to shine for Jesus Christ and share the good news of the gospel, this is the time. And I looked at Chevis and said, I want to ask you a question. What if that had been you in that car on Sunday? Where would you have gone? And I asked him his permission to, to share this this morning. He says, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't know, Pastor. If he's, I looked at Megan I said, Megan, what if that had been you in that car that morning? Where would you have gone? Where would you be right now if you had died? And she looked at me. She said, Pastor, David, I don't know the answer to that question. She said, I'd like to think it's heaven, but I'm pretty sure it's not. Within five minutes of walking in that door, I'm opening up the Word of God and going to Genesis and sharing how God created man and put him in a perfect environment in the Garden of Eden and how he sinned against God and because of that sin is passed down to every single man but folks God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life and folks I was having the time of my life sharing what Jesus Christ had done was I nervous absolutely because I was dealing with someone who is disillusioned with the church folks and they had had a bad experience and they weren't they weren't just eating out of my hand, taking everything at face value. That night, for like 45 minutes or an hour, I shared that Jesus Christ loved them. And it wasn't anything that they could do. It was only by his blood that was shed on the cross of Calvary could they have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Say, Pastor, it's already 1140. Buckle up. Because I want you to hear this. At the end of the day, both of them prayed and placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. Woo! Isn't that an awesome thing? And folks, what happened is, that's what happens when you're being intentional with one and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jason, I will never forget you and your wife sitting in my office. I didn't ask him for permission, but I love him and I know him. And I sat across from my desk and I was sharing the gospel with them. And I asked him, I said, have you ever prayed and placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? And, and Jason said, no, I haven't. And, and I remember that day, I mean, I was sharing what Jesus Christ had done, and he says, I, I'm just not ready. I'm not, I, it seems too easy. I'm just not sure if I'm, I'm there. And, and I'll be honest, 
it hit me up the head, side of the head like a ton of bricks going, it is not your job to save him. God is going to do it when he's ready. And I told him before he left my office that day, I wanted so bad for you to get saved that morning, but that afternoon. But you know what? It wasn't time. And I said, I looked at him as clear as I'm sitting in front of him right now. I said, Jason, when you're ready, you don't have to be at church. It can happen driving down the road. It can happen at work. It can happen wherever you're at. Jesus will radically, if you'll just confess your he'll forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That day he left my office and I felt defeated. I'll be, I'm just being straight up. I was like, man, I didn't do my job. I didn't, I didn't explain it good enough. But then I was like, it's not up to you. It's up to the Holy Spirit of God. Let him do his work. Thursday of the next week, he texted me. He said, you're never going to guess what happened. I was at work and someone started talking to me and sharing the gospel and saying, I see something different. He said, that day at work, he gets saved. He couldn't wait to tell me. I said, you need to tell your life group leader. That's exactly what I said. You need to tell your small group leader. You need to tell them what God is doing in your life. And folks, what happens is as God begins to work, I remember sitting on my back deck with Ivan, sharing the gospel. And Ivan says, I grew up Catholic. I've been in, the, in, in Brooklyn, New York. And folks, I don't know anything about Brooklyn. That's New York City. I mean, that's like a million miles away from me. I mean, I could easily be intimidated and say, I may not know what questions he's going to ask, but you know what? We sat there and we talked through the gospel. And he said, you know what? I actually got saved at a camp. And, and, he, and he says, but I've been out of church for a long time and I need to get reentered. And, and I started sharing with him about reading his Bible and teach. We taught him through life groups how to study the Word of God and to grow in his relationship with Jesus Christ. Folks, God can do that through each one of us if we'll just allow him to. How many of you, thirdly, would commit this morning to invite one unchurched or unsaved person to attend church with you in 2021? All right? The first one, invite somebody to breakfast, lunch, or dinner. That's outside of here. Number two, invite a neighbor over to your house or out to eat to dinner and share the gospel with them. And number three, invite one person or one family, unsaved person, to attend church with you in 2021. Look around you. There are empty seats in every church in town. Why is that? Well, we're living in a pandemic. I get it. But folks, the reality is that if we had a vision to reach our neighbors, reach one. Imagine if you invited someone and they came with church next Sunday to church with you, it would double. We'd have trouble getting everybody in here socially distanced. I mean, next week it would be full. We would have to have, and within weeks we'd be going to multiple services. Why? Because we're do, reaching our one with the gospel. What's the application, Pastor? Can we get radical for just a moment? If you brought one person next week, we would be at capacity. Two people in the next couple of weeks, we'd be at capacity. We'd be going to additional services. Folks, what could happen? Those of you that are watching online, eventually, God willing, you're going to be back in person before long. And we're going to fill up. And we're going to be at capacity. And folks, what would happen? If Imagine if you worked on that neighbor that you've been needing to reach out to, that coworker that you need to invite, the family member who's been going through a difficult time, you know they're not in church. What would happen? What could it transform in their lives and the life of our church? We're talking hundreds of people, folks. In Wake County alone, 1.2 million people. Over the next 20 million, over the next 20 years, we're gonna add another million people in Wake County. Where are they going? Not to North Raleigh, it's full. They're coming to South Wake County, right up here in our neck of the woods. I mean, they're moving into our neighborhoods. I mean, everywhere you look, there's construction. Another uh, report this week named Raleigh the number one place to live in America. And everyone's going, we're full. Stop. Quit posting those things. I mean, we're full. We're at capacity. But the reality is, is they're coming to our doorstep. Look at every neighborhood. Every house that's on the market is already under contract, folks. There are no houses for sale. People, they're moving in from everywhere. 
What would we do if we reached them with the gospel? The overwhelming majority do not have a church that they attend. Many are skeptical. Many have been hurt. Many have had heart feelings. And folks, they, we need some Andrews. We need some people that will invite their brother Peter to come and see and experience the life-changing power of the gospel. So we conclude this morning. I want to ask you to do something. So you might want to wake up. How many of you would make a public, unashamed commitment to be intentional this year and say, Pastor, I'm going to do my part in inviting one person to a breakfast, lunch, or dinner, unsafe person, and I'm going to do my best to share the gospel with them. I'm going to do my part to invite a neighbor over to dinner and at some point, I'm going to delegate to my wife. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, we're going to share the gospel. I'm, I'm totally playing with it. We're going to share the gospel with them and, and the good news of the gospel with them. And I'm going to do my part to invite an unsaved, unchurched person to come with me to church in 2021. It's more than just a ball on the wall, folks. You have got to get some skin in the game if we're ever going to make an impact on our city with the gospel of Jesus Christ. How many of you say this morning, Pastor, I will take that challenge? If that's where you're at, stand up to your feet, folks. Stand up. I will take the challenge, and I will do my part. Don't just do it because someone beside you is doing it. But if you'll say, Pastor, I'm going to do my part. I'm going to invite that coworker, that neighbor. If you're at home, stand up to your feet. Why? Because, folks, all across the building are people are saying, I'm going to take the challenge. I'm going to do my part at reaching that one with the gospel. When you leave the worship center this morning, don't just leave like any other Sunday. If you haven't placed your ball on the wall, the person that you're praying for, write that name down. If you invited someone this week, write it on a blue ball. Drop it in there. Why? Encourage one another. Ask people who that one is. Ask them who it is that they're, have you had a chance to pray with them? Have you invited someone to lunch yet? Have you invited them over to your house for dinner? Over the course of the year, the relationships we're building are going to lead to seeing, literally, it could potentially be hundreds of people come to faith in Jesus Christ. Help me, Father. God, may you do a mighty work. Lord, you see our hearts. Lord, you see the hearts of each person in this building this morning and our desire to make disciples. Lord, I pray that you would do a mighty work. Each person that stood this morning, may you give them boldness. May you give them Holy Spirit resolve, Lord, to preach and proclaim the good news of the gospel. Lord, I pray that right where we're standing this morning, you would solidify the decision within our heart to, to proclaim the good news of the gospel. Help us not to sit back and, and uh, hold our, our light under a bushel, as the song says, but may we be a city on a hill, Lord, that would boldly proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. God, may you do a mighty work in our hearts and lives this morning. Stir within us a desire to uh, share the good news. Lord, help us this week to be praying, to build relationships that are intentional, Lord, help us to go and tell that Jesus Christ can radically transform our hearts and lives. God, we'll be careful to praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's...